Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 51 of Conquering Columbus. We've got a great show lined up for you today. We got the chance to sit down with Mr. Kip Morse, president of the Better Business Bureau of Central Ohio. But before we dive into that, I want to take a moment and remind you all, go ahead and look at whatever podcast app you're listening to this on. Click that subscribe button. It really helps us out, and it'll make sure you guys never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. The last thing we want to do before we get this episode rolling is take a moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. If you want to find out more about AWH, check out awh.net, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. For those of you who don't know who they are, the Sundown Group is an Ohio nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout Ohio. More information on the web at sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them is a lot of competitors in this space, but they've made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more and check out a free trial at gofmx.com. Mike here again. And if you want to be a sponsor of Conquering Columbus and have your message heard by conquerors across the city, please reach out to me at mike at conqueringcolumbus.com. And one last thing before we get this episode rolling, conquerors, we want to hear from you. There will be a quick survey in the show notes of today's episode. And if you guys could fill that out for us, we'd really appreciate it. All right, conquerors, let's get the show on the road. could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what once again I think of that guy in my ear I think about stepping up to the stage I think about the challenge like I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost and so like I bet on me any day choosing greatness greatness doesn't choose you you know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Uh, we've got a great guest with us today, Mr. Kip Morse, president of the Better Business Bureau of Central Ohio. And uh, for 25 years, Kip has been the president of the Better Business Bureau here, and he is also the president of the BBB Better Center for Ethics, as well as a board member on the National BBB Institute for Marketplace Trust. And uh, we're really excited to have you here today. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Kip. Thanks. This is great. I appreciate the opportunity. 
Yeah, so we'll have to talk a little bit about those uh, last two BBB groups that Mike was trying to spit out there. I'm not too sure on kind of what those are. I'm looking forward to diving into it. But just kind of start off, what does your typical day look like? Let's just get people a general idea and kind of what the life is like in Kip's life and go from there. All right, great. Well, yeah, so um, the Better Business Bureau is 34 employees. We represent 21 counties in central Ohio. So a typical day um, would include um, typically usually some sort of a, an event, um, a luncheon or a collaborative meeting that I'm going to to try to work with uh, different uh, uh, entities within the community to try to uh, advance our mission. Um, there's always aspects where I'm meeting with teams on uh, on the BBB and trying to um, see where they might be struggling. And, and so I'll sit in on team meetings and try to make sure that uh, – from a management perspective, where um, you know their day is going well, they've got what they need to, to try to accomplish things, um, and then uh, you know I, I also got a board of directors, so I have to make sure that all my T's are crossed, and uh, and I've got all my uh, aspects of running a uh, um, a nonprofit, actually two nonprofits. Um, uh, I'm running them um, in a in a manner that's consistent with with what we expect of. Other nonprofits and, uh, and and for-profit businesses in our community, right? And I was going to say, what what is the mission of the Better Business Bureau? So we talked a little bit earlier before the show about this, but some people kind of have a uh, uh, misconception about exactly what the BBB is. Cause, so can you talk a little bit about your mission and what exactly? the purpose of the BBB is. Yeah, so back in the day when mission statements were long and you'd have like a you know a strategic planning session to try to come up with it, I used to use ours because it was so long as my outline for my speeches. Promote the highest standards of business ethics and conduct, instill confidence in the in the marketplace. I mean, I would go on and, and just break it down for people. But now we've simplified it to um, we're advancing trust in the marketplace. And so um, that's why both our Center for Character Ethics from a C3 perspective and the Better Business Bureau as a C6, both are working towards advancing trust in our marketplace. And what exactly, can you break that down for us even for our listeners? Like, what does that mean conceptually? So conceptually, it means that I, I like to look at um, Stephen M. R. Covey came out with the, the Speed of Trust, the book, The Speed of Trust. And he said that there really needed to be four pillars to, to, um, uh, to develop trust, whether it's with your, um, your staff or whether it's with your um, uh, clients or the public. And two of them were um, really competency and two of them were um, really integrity. Um, competency is can you do what you say you're going to do? Um, have you done it over a period of time and can you prove that you can actually pull it off? And then the integrity side is, um, uh, are you going to do what you say you're going to do, and are you doing it for the right reasons, um, the intent aspect. So what I try, the way I try to um, explain to people in terms of the BUB and, and then the BUB Center for Character Ethics, the BUB is focused on that competency. So we're evaluating businesses based on standards. Are they properly licensed? Or do they handle any disputes that they get um, properly? We have mediation and arbitration services. So it's all about the competency. And then to advance trust in the marketplace, we then showcase that through ratings um, that are free to the public, um, uh, reviews that people can come in and read. Uh, They can find out all the information on the business reviews as to whether um, a company that they're um, looking to do business with is properly licensed and doesn't have government actions and didn't just close down an operation, um, uh, leaving people high and dry and starting a new one. Uh, Those types of things in terms of competency. And then the character side is, 
I felt back in uh, 1994 that that really wasn't enough, that we really, if we're the Better Business Bureau, we need to come up with um, a real dialogue for businesses to, you know, let them know what, what do we mean by that? What is a better business? If someone says, hey, I, I handle all those things, I've got an A-plus rating, I've had one my entire life, what else can you do for me? And so then that's where um, I kind of get excited and animated to try to um, figure out um, how to best um, help businesses in our community become better. Right. So we'll dive into that a little more uh, later in the show. But okay. what I want to step back and talk about now is um, if you could take us back. So we always kind of like to talk to our guests about what led them to their career paths. So what was your life kind of like growing up? And can you take us through maybe, you know, your younger years all the way through um, college and what you studied at school? Okay. So I grew up in Worthington. Um in a suburb, and I uh, was the youngest of four kids. I, um, uh, so most of my, my two sisters and my brother, it was kind of in the Vietnam era, my, my brother being um, very close in age to me, but my sister's Vietnam era. So I, I grew up with that. I grew up with uh, people coming back from Vietnam and, and, uh, and my sister having parties um, at our house, you know, to celebrate them returning. Um, my dad was an attorney at Porter Wright. Um, didn't really... Un- he wasn't a big part in terms of uh, me learning business. Uh, we didn't really understand. He was a labor lawyer, and we didn't understand all that he did. But um, but I did um, get to know a lot of people in the business community. The uh, the real changing point was uh, I played sports. I played every sport you could play. Um, you know, in the little league, and my dad was the coach, and all that, and and we were involved in all that. Um, I think the turning point was I had. Um, Going into my sophomore year, my, my brother was arrested, and um, he was uh, he was going down the wrong path. He was arrested breaking into a house. Um, he went to a couple different uh, boarding schools. He ended up at a boarding school in Maine called Hyde School, H-Y-D-E. And it was, it was on 60 Minutes a couple times for its um, creative ways of building character within an individual. And so um, he went there for a year. He got done. I saw tremendous changes in him. Um, we bonded again, um, and he said, "You should, you should check this school out." And I said, "Oh, I'm not gonna. I don't need to get fixed. You know, I don't, I don't need this school." <laughs> and so he ended up um, uh, convincing me to go to a six-week um, summer school program up there. And it was, you know, they put you in a, in a dory and send you out in the in the um, ocean, and uh, you're coupled with. Um, some uh, inner city kids from New York, some from D.C. You're with some, um, uh, some what they used to call wallflowers, you know, people that just did not want to be seen or heard, just all sorts of different personalities. And then, you know, you had to um, bond with them. I mean, we see reality TV shows like that now, and that's what I was doing back then. But the upshot was that the, at the end of that uh, summer school program, which I thought was tremendous. I, it was the most challenging uh, thing I've ever done in my life. And, um, and yet at the end of it, um, one of the teachers that I had kind of bonded with said, I look, I'm looking forward to seeing you come back here. And I said, I'm not coming back here. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, this is fun, but I live in the suburbs and uh, you know, I get my B grades and I'm hanging with my, my buddies and everything. And uh, he just, I, I'll never forget his steely eyes. And, and he just looked at me and he said, he goes, oh, okay. He goes, is that the way you're going to run your life? And 
And that was the first time someone really challenged me, and I was like, you know, well, yeah. Uh, and then I was just kind of taken back, and that was probably the the hardest night of my life because I didn't sleep. I'm like, you know, okay, I think I just get it. I, I get that this is a decision that I'm going to have to make, and it's not a comfortable one. It's not something I'm, you know, um, my parents were shocked. They said, what? You, you know, you going away to school? It didn't take them long after I um, left to say, okay, that was the last kid out. And that <laughs> happened two years sooner than I thought. So they got kind of excited. But uh, but no, so that was, um, that kind of led me up through um, three years of prep school. And then I came back to Ohio Wesleyan, spent a year there, determined that that was um, too small. It was similar to my prep school. So I went to Kent State and that's where um, I thought I was going to become an attorney like my dad and go to law school, and I ended up um, getting the degree in criminal justice studies and uh, kind of went that route, and um, that's where I met my my wife and went from there. So you mentioned about how that decision that night to go back and how you look back on it and you describe it as such a pivotal moment, and I think it's unique because I have some moments in my life that seemed extremely insignificant in the moment. That probably seemed a little bit more significant, but... I remember just like small decisions in terms of like courses I was going to take in school that ended up linking me with certain people and challenging me in a way that I wasn't uh, wasn't thinking that I was going to be able to be challenged and succeed, and they changed the entire outcome of my life to this point so far. So it's really interesting to see how you just chose the path of being uncomfortable, putting yourself in a position where you knew you probably weren't going to enjoy things as much over the next couple of years, and it impacted your life so dramatically. Um, but to kind of follow that up from a question, so you get done with college, and then what does the path look like once you get done with college into finding your path at the BBB? So I, I got a job with Nationwide Insurance, and um, and I think that's where I realized that um, that I, I I'm I'm never really satisfied with the status quo. I'm never really satisfied with um, where we're at. I was doing a lot of medical only claims as a claims examiner. I had quickly advanced to doing bodily injury claims and. Um, and, and an auditor came in, and I, I'd been there almost two years, and, and I was doing some pretty substantial claims, and the attorney that I was working under um, was letting me do it. An auditor came in and said, um, he's a level, I think it was like a level seven. Um, he can't be doing those. He has to do medical only. And they said, okay, you got to go back to doing those. And I said, well, you know, I love working here, but, I, you know, I've advanced and I've proven myself. Why don't you just make me a level eight or nine? And then they say, well, we don't have an open position for that. And I said, well, then I'm out of here. Yeah. You know? And so I, um, I left and um, uh, ran into a, uh, um, uh, an old neighbor of mine that was in sales with Allied Bandlines. And he says, have you ever done sales? Like, you know, you can make twice as much money. And I said, let's give it a go. So I got into sales. So you left before having a job lined up. You kind of just jumped ship and. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, I kind of, uh, um, I think so. Um, I, I, I might have had the job set up. Um, I, I think I had met him and he had said that that was an option. And so I, that gave me a little bit more strength to go in there and say I'm, I'm leaving. But I knew I wasn't going to sit there and, and um, go down that path and, and, um, and, and try to slowly work my way up. I remember challenging the the higher up and and having the conversation with him, and he said, you know, I'm sorry that it has to go this way, but um, but it was uh, um, again, you look back in, in reflecting on things, you look back and you and you realize that um, 
I was too new and, and really didn't know what I wanted to do. And so um, getting some sales experience was, was critical in the job I ended up with, um, with the Better Business Bureau. And then what exactly in your sales role were you selling? What was that process like and how long did you stay there? So I was with Allied um, and uh, um, we were going into homes and we were doing estimates and we we're selling people on, on their services. And then I got to a point where my wife and I looked at each other and we said, why are we in Columbus? We don't have any kids. Let's go down. We love the beach. So uh, we decided to move to Jacksonville, Florida. I had a uh, college roommate that was down there as an architect. And so we went down there one weekend, checked it out, loved it, um, called the Allied agent down there. They said, we can always use a good salesperson. My wife's a nurse, um, has been, and um, she called down there and got started within a week at a hospital. Um, so we made the move. We packed everything up and uh, sold my 68 Chevelle convertible that I, I still think about. You feel yeah, the pain. Say, oh, <laughs> a little, I, I could feel the pain in that. <laughs> oh, I wanted that back so bad, uh, but I sold that to, to get some money to go down there. And uh, this is where the good podcasts open up and they say, well, we got it here, <laughs> right. but we, we don't we have don't it. Have it. Yeah. Oh, darn. <laughs> this is just conquering Columbus. I'm sorry. <laughs> Bring up a picture on Google if you want. <laughs> oh, it was tremendous. I used to drive by it up on 315 and it was for sale for about three months. And uh, every time I drove by, I, mean, I, was, I was going up to Lake Erie and I said, I, I'm going to own that car. And uh, I did, but uh, um, I put, put a few miles on it. But um, the uh, interesting part with getting with the Better Business Bureau is I transitioned into selling um, software programs um, for manufacturers with a real small company and um, uh, learned a little bit more about sales. And then um, I was at a trade show and I met the president of the Better Business Bureau in Jacksonville and um, got real close to selling them a pretty good system, at their, the first system the BB ever had. And he said, um, I'm losing $20,000 a, a month in renewals. And I said, why? And he said, well, we left the chamber. We grew from 200 to 2,700 members in three months uh, or in three years. And um, now they're all canceling. And so I said, well, what are you doing for them? Well, nothing. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, what are, you, are you communicating to them? Are you, I mean, I know you're doing um, good work. He said they weren't communicating at all. They weren't. Um, they basically sold a business on supporting the BUB as a member, and then they never heard from them again. So I said, well, what are you going to do about it? And he said, well, I don't know. What do you think I should do? And so I looked at all of his numbers and everything, and I said, you need someone to go talk to these people and find out what's going on and find out you know, why, they, um, why they did support you and what they were expecting and then start delivering on it. And he said, you want to do it? <laughs> and, I, and I said, yeah, I'll do it. And so I... You know, we didn't have MapQuest, so I had a big old fold-out, you know, map and uh, grabbed a list of late dues. And um, I remember the first day I worked at the Better Business Bureau, I, um, they said, well, just go out and, and see if you can collect on dues. I called back at lunch, and I said, I've got five checks. And they're all hooping and hollering. And then I called back at dinner time, and I said, I got five plaques. <laughs> because I had to, they told me get the plaque if they don't if they're no longer going to be members, and so I learned. Um, you know, I sat down with businesses and they told me what the expectation was, and you know, I apologized if we didn't meet it, and I said, um, give me a year, and um, I'm going to treat you like a member, um, even if you're not a paying member, and then I'm going to come back to you in a year, and you tell me if we've done a good good enough job, and so that model of um, 
just being on the road and getting tours of businesses and finding out where their needs were was uh, I just loved it. Um, I loved learning about business. So I think that's this is such great direction, but I kind of want to pull it back for a second to that initial conversation. So you were selling him on a software product. On the side, he just began to open up to you about all these business problems that he was having. And then and did this all happen in one day? Was this over the course of a week? You took the numbers home and gave you documents and you reviewed them and you just did that in your free time or how did that work? That was pretty much on a free time on a weekend. Um, it had gotten to the point, well, you know, when you sell a software system, you, you, you go in and you kind of study their, their, their processes and, okay, what, what do you really need? What, you know, what are you trying to accomplish? So I had spent weeks looking at everything and figuring out. Back then, a lot of those software uh, programs were really um, uh, developed and, and uh, proprietary. And so we had one that we would have to develop. Um, yeah, I guess I should ask what the goal of the software system was to help wrap my head around that. Well, so um, it was back then when somebody called in to the Better Business Bureau and said, can you give me a report on Joe's Plumbing? Um, we had people um, in front of a big desk, and they would flip cards up, and they would read. They'd be color-coded so that they'd know they have a satisfactory record or they have three complaints or, you know, they'd know all the information off that card, and they would read that. Um and then uh, maintaining their membership databases. And, um, you know, they were just doing those on, uh, on some basic spreadsheets. And uh, so it was kind of like um, the billing, but also the, the um, processing of, uh, um, of giving out reports, reliability reports. And so having that all in one place, a database basically of, uh, of businesses and being able to, um, to sort those appropriately. Okay. So yeah, maybe it's, I mean, it's pretty simple, but it just seems so simple to us, but I mean, you know, computers. So it's... it was 1989. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so right. How simple was that for you right. guys back then? Huh? Yeah. I mean, I... <laughs> so you had to go to the library and look up on one of those little index cards and find the letters, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Oh yeah. I mean, I remember floppy disks were, were big when I was a kid, you know, we always had the floppy, the little floppy disk and it's incredible now. Like you get these, you've got these little um, chips that hold millions of times more data than the floppy disk ever could. Oh, and yeah, we so act like we're still like 25 years old. Yeah, So this is, just to give you some context, when I was selling computers, we almost had a celebration party when they jumped to the 40 meg hard drive. The 40 meg hard drive. <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and so, some of the programs, like I, like the, the word processing word perfect and some of those were just you know huge mm -hmm. and so that would eat up your hard drive yeah and uh so yeah we were pretty thrilled to have that big old 40 meg different world <laughs> yeah, now, nowadays we've so, got a, a one terabyte hard drive yeah. the external hard drive that we keep all of our podcasts uh saved on and that was the small hard drive right um, but so, we're off track now yeah so um, i still have a question there i think so you're analyzing the data you, you got to know kind of how the processes were working pretty well because you're going to sell them the software and you noticed throughout looking through those numbers maybe i'm getting too granular i'm just really curious about this right now i feel like it might make more sense as we play along mm -hmm. um what were the key things that you were noticing just that they weren't they were tons of past due payments people weren't renewing no it was really more of it's more personal i mean it's more communications it's more integrity doing what you say you're going to do 
Um, the Better Business Bureau has always maintained a the name recognition. At one point, we had 100% name recognition, which was unheard of. And then it was like 97%, all the different studies. People recognize the name. When you have that kind of a brand, you've got to really work every single day to uh, be respectful of that and to make sure you deliver on it. And so I think it was a case where... Down in Florida, a lot of them left from chambers and started basically started anew. Here in Columbus, we started in 1921, and F.R. Huntington and Edgar Wolfe and Simon Lazarus, they were on the founding board. And so you had that kind of history. Um, there, it was a little bit more of, um, all right, let's start a new Better Business Bureau. And so they, you know, quite frankly, weren't ready to really, it was a startup. And so they were learning uh, the hard knocks of, uh, building that respect in their community. And uh, so I was going in and saying, this is just a communications issue. They, they don't know you, and they don't trust you. And so you need to go develop that trust. You got the name, but uh, that gets you in the door, but you know you better, you better earn it. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned you began, you began selling things based on, you said, I would deliver the service before you guys are even paying members. How many people did you carry that out with? Because I feel like that's probably a pretty pivotal statement to say to somebody. Yeah, we did. I, I did that with a lot of people. Um, most all of them that uh, um, that well, we weren't delivering a lot, so I knew I had to start delivering something and give them what they paid for for a year. And some of it is um, I remember partnering with. Um, I was on the board. I got a, got on the board of the chamber in Jacksonville. I, I then did a partnership with a printing company um, so that we could um, afford to print a pretty nice two page. Um, newsletter um, figured out some software programs to design the um, the newsletter and uh, and just got our facts down. They didn't realize that okay, yeah, we take in this many inquiries every single day. We we handle these many uh, disputes. We handle the um, the arbitrations for the um, for the AutoCAP program down there, which was for the auto dealers. You know, as soon as they realize how they're how you're spending their money, they're like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I can I can support that. If you know, if they see nothing. Mm-hmm. I remember one time I walked in and they said, um, I said, hey, I'm Kip Morris of the Better Business Bureau, and he's like, Betty, get out here. I want you to see what the Better Business Bureau looks like. We haven't seen you in a year since we gave you a check. <laughs> and that was you know, like you learn from that. You're like, that will never happen again. Right. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's it's important to build relationships. Absolutely. And so. From there, what brought you back to Ohio? So um, probably the next biggest thing that's ever happened in my life, and that is uh, um, we had our first child, and uh, um, uh, Allison was born with Down syndrome. And um, they we started immediately. She was born on uh, December 9th. We immediately started talking to people um, try, to try to figure out what we're up against. And they said, um, get out of Florida. They said Florida's 10 years behind the times. Don't read a book. Anything, any book you read is going to say institutionalize them. And uh, so you just need to get out of Florida. And so I said, I'm getting out of Florida. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I contacted the uh, Columbus Better Business Bureau um, and said that uh, this is what I've been doing with the BBB down here. I'd been with them for a couple of years. And he said, I've got a position as a sales manager. Um, you know, you, you can come up here and interview I came up before Christmas and interviewed, so I was two weeks after the baby was born, and um, I started February 2nd of the following year. And so we 
it was a quick move. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we also we wanted to be near family. We thought we needed the support. We need, knew we needed to be around a state that, um, that had some good support mechanisms and you know, had family. Did you jump in right as president? No. So I jumped in as um, as sales manager and then it, um, then uh, um, assistant vice president and then um, and then um, executive vice president and then um, president elect. The president was had been there thirty five years, was transitioning and out, and so um, the year beforehand he went to the board of directors and said, "I want I want Kip to um, to be the next president." So the board. Uh, prove that, and so I was president-elect for one year and took over in 2000. And so what kind of allowed you to excel and move move forward through those positions as you kind of uh, grew and gained more and more responsibilities and leadership, and how did that affect the way that you went about your business? Well, it goes back to that, um, it goes back to really going to high school and, and being challenged and, and the whole structure there was you never be satisfied and never be comfortable. You know, always put yourself in a position that you're being challenged um, so that you can test your character. And then with Nationwide, I was not satisfied because I, I was not going to do that. And so when I got to um, got here to Columbus, they had a great BBB, and that gives me all the, all the more energy to say there is so much we can do here. And so as soon as you do it, the only thing that slows you down is that you're a nonprofit, and you have to um, figure out if the finances are going to be there, and so that just gives you more reason to grow, um, so that you can have more um, uh, money to do the things that you want to do to to advance the the mission. So it was it was pushing that envelope, and and my um, when you've got a board of directors and you've got uh, a, a president that uh, had a great reputation, and and I had a great working relationship with them. Ron Miller was incredible. Uh, man and um, uh, he let me push that envelope and you know he pushed back when you know we weren't ready but mm-hmm. um, it was kind of just you know, knowing that we needed to do more and more so I think this might be kind of what you mean when you say push the envelope but then what I notice a lot from successful people who have climbed the ranks within businesses they tend to take on more than what their just normal responsibilities are so you don't just look at what's on the table and what I'm supposed to get done every day Think about how can I grow it, expand it, change it, and make it better. So to add more value than you're, you know, taking away from the organization. Um, did you notice that a lot significantly? Is that kind of what you mean by, you know, push the envelope as you went forward and continue to excel up into the company? Did you just present new ways of doing things? And Yeah, new ways of doing things and, and uh, um, you know, everything from starting the foundation to um, never being satisfied. I mean, I, I look back and... Um, and again, always wanting to be challenged. If I was, if I was just running a basic Better Business Bureau, and basic meaning the minimum standards to get by as a Better Business Bureau, I couldn't, I couldn't stand it. And um, you know, you, you look in the bureau system, um, and and you really know the ones that are always constantly trying to improve, um, and the ones that maybe just smaller markets or whatever where they're they're a little bit more I have to just do the minimum requirements and so you know I have the luxury to um, to grow a great organization and um, and do something new and different every year and and the board is supportive of that that makes sense so are there any key projects or key um, key 
uh, goals you have right now for the BBB here in Central Ohio? Yeah, so what? probably the biggest one, which, again, it was one of them that we had conversations at the board level. Um, we had a lot of uh, um, discussion about how to go about doing it, and that's really getting um, – getting our message into the millennial, the startup community, the entrepreneurs, the social enterprises, um, all those entities. And, and one of the roles with the BBB I think can play is helping to define that because it's a, we evaluate businesses based on standards. We evaluate charities based on standards. And there's that middle ground of the social entrepreneurs and, and uh, the social enterprises. And so, um, we are working very hard uh, over the last couple of years, everything from redesigning our entire office space um, to be uh, millennial friendly, to being social enterprise friendly, where they can come in and they can have workstations and, and work with us, um, to utilizing our boardroom. We've had our boardroom used by you know probably 30, 40 different days last year just by um, the different groups that needed that resource. Um, Partnerships. I mean, we part of our strategic plan is um, develop a lot of different partnerships. Developed a partnership with um, David All and, and startup uh, uh, storytelling. The last two years, um, got the BBB brand in front of you know five six hundred um, young entrepreneurs, um, and uh, and really started to with the same thing in mind that going back to the days when I was talking to the businesses. I'm not going to them saying. Um, hey, let me sell you on the value of the BBB. I'm saying, here's what the BBB stands for. What kind of help do you need? And I'm hearing from them. Oh, I need connected to, you know, your, um, you've got an incredible resource of, of um, trusted businesses. I need connected to them. Um, I need help on finances. I need help on, uh, you know, whatever it might be. We can be that connector. Um, you know, that's one area. And the other area is... Um, recognition programs uh, they don't um, have a lot of uh, they're very busy working their uh, their startups and they don't take time to uh, celebrate successes and to to be recognized and the better business bureau promotes high standards of business ethics so um, we give out a spark award um, that's uh, based on character culture and community and uh, that is consistent with uh, the trust principles that we built for our Center for Character Ethics for um, our Torch Award for Ethics recipients. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, I'm, I don't know how much this says. I'm pretty naive to certain organizations, and I really have never known too much about um, the BBB. But I honestly just thought that it was a requirement that you had to be a part of it. So I think that says a testament to how well established the brand name is across different communities. Um, what is your guys's rate in terms of businesses that are out there that are actually working with you in the community you guys have like a percentage number on that do you guys have most of every business that's around or no we have um uh in terms of accredited businesses we have about 5500 close to 5600 so we serve 21 counties in central ohio we have 52,000 businesses so we're at about an 11 percent um uh, penetration rate um, of accredited businesses but then we work with when you say work with, if they don't have a good enough record, they can't be accredited with us, but we still work with them. If we get complaints, we work with them. If they have a C rating and they're furious because they're losing business, we work with them. You know, they can come in, they, we can talk about the pattern of complaints. Um, so we, we work with a lot more of the businesses. Um, more and more, uh, what we're finding is that businesses are starting to realize that with our 
um, the power that we have relative to the brand, they know that through Google and through all the different search engines, people are finding the Better Business Bureau. Two million people in Central Ohio came to our site to check on businesses last year. Um, so they're seeing that. They, they're starting to hear it 10 times more than they ever heard it. Um, so that is bringing bus uh, businesses to the table and saying, okay, um, tell me you know, a little bit more about you. What, what is this accreditation all about? How can it, um, how can it help me? And you touched on it a little bit, but what are the different levels of interaction look like with all the different businesses that you work with? And when you get complaints, so maybe this is too part too much, but when you get complaints, how are you guys working with those companies to progress or resolve those different issues? So if you're accredited, you're, you're signing an agreement with us that you're going to resolve disputes that, that come our way. And then we also handle, we have a, 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 an MOU, a Memorandum of Understanding with the Attorney General's Office, we handle all complaints that they get that are on accredited businesses. So the idea is that they give them to us because they want to spend their time on really really the, the problem companies, the egregious ones, not the ones that meet all our standards and say, I'm going to deal with my complaints. So they run them through us. We handle them. We send them to the company immediately. We give them the opportunity to respond. Um, you know, Most of the time, uh, they're trying to resolve it. They want to take care of it. They, they're upset that, that the consumer even thought they needed to go to the Better Business Bureau. But typically, it's a case where they, they've tried enough times to get it resolved and they felt they needed a third party. So if it gets to the point where we've got both sides are just not budging or, or they've, they've dug in hard enough, um, we build a model out that, that is, we try to catch it very quickly so that we can get it to um, either conciliation get someone on the phone and try to take care of it so it doesn't get really nasty or mediation we've got mediators from all over the um, the city that will come in and, and do a mediation for us um, those are much better because again it's you haven't let it get to the point where um, you have to do an arbitration and an arbitration is each side presents their case they've signed an ag agreement to arbitrate and the arbitrator renders a decision and they have to live by it. That's uh, legally binding. Um, so we do all of those. And, um, and you know, it, you hear um, people are thrilled on both sides. Sometimes it's the consumers, sometimes it's the businesses. I've had businesses tell me, uh, you saved me $20,000 in legal fees and we got this thing t taken care of. Um, you know, Vice versa, I've had consumers, you know, tell me that, you know, they don't know where they would have gone without us. Um, it puts us in one of those positions sometimes where, um, you know, you'll hear, um, oh, the BBB didn't do anything for me, you know, and then you look it up and you say, oh, they lost the arbitration, <laughs> you know, they're, they're upset they didn't get what they want. But, um, you know, that we, we're in that, that realm of dispute resolution, which gets very personal. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So... One thing I wanted to talk about a little more was the uh, two organizations uh, that you're a part of outside of just the uh, BBB of Central Ohio, which is number one, the Better Center for Ethics. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, the Center for Ethics and um, what your role looks like and, and what the goal of that, that organization is? Well, so the, the BBB Center for Character Ethics is the Better Business Bureau C3 Foundation. Mm -hmm. So that is an organization that in 2000, we determined that we were going to have our foundation uh, focus primarily specifically on ethics mm -hmm. and so we took our torch award for ethics recipients that we started in 1994 and our student integrity awards program that we give out 10 $1,000 scholarships we grouped that and said okay let's have future workforce and current workforce 
um, as, as the aspects of our, um, our Center for Character Ethics. Then we said we need to develop, by learning from these companies, what are the trust principles? And we, so we've got frameworks and models that actually say, okay, it starts with transformation at the top. And so we have a, a leadership character ethics um, a roadmap for a leader and different ways for them to evaluate themselves. And then reinforce and build, unite the team, steer performance, you know, kind of a, a framework mm -hmm. so that we can, um, businesses can be honored for that if they're really intentional about it. And if they want to come in and say, um, can you help me along the way, we developed a trust assessment tool. So you can send it out to all of your employees. The employees can give feedback based on 30 questions that all align with those trust principles. Mm -hmm. And you get a report back that says, Oh yeah, we're really good here and here, but oh, you know what? We don't um, we don't do a whole lot in terms of uh, um, uh, enthusiastically giving back to the community, or our leader is not living up to you know the expectations. You get the that hard feedback. Um, so that Center for Character Ethics was built on the model of um, what more can we do for businesses to become better, and um, uh, you know that's gotten us engaged with a lot of uh, really great companies. How many people are affiliated with that organization? So the BBB staff is the one that, that supports it. There's no employees of that organization, but then there's partners, uh, you know, 20 different sponsors of different events, Laws of Life essay contest, the Student Integrity Awards, the Spark Awards is run through there. Um, and so there's lots of different uh, um, uh, partnerships and programs that are, are run through that. And that's really where I get all my, my information for uh, presentations. Okay. So I, you know, I present to you know, the defense finance and accounting systems. They want to learn about, okay, can you help teach the 120 people how to be a leader of character? So I'm mm -hmm. taking from those frameworks to, to kind of advance that. Right, and then the other organization is the, uh, the National Institute for Marketplace Trust. Uh, which you're a board member of. So what does what what that look like, and what's the goals for, for that uh, institute, and how does your position as a board member, um, how do you interact with that organization? Okay, so that was a, um, that, that is the national in D.C., that's their C3 corporation, and so, <coughs> excuse me, they decided that they, they needed to do the same thing that we did, and that was um, really uh, brand that as, um, as that sort of a... Um, the intellectual uh, aspect of the Better Business Bureau that can really study this, uh, this topic and then provide assistance to associations and different organizations. So um, we actually took our Center for Character Ethics and we helped 15 other Better Business Bureaus set up Centers for Character Ethics. Um, then we decided that since we were running that national program out of Columbus, it was time to move that to D.C. and have it be a part of the Institute for Marketplace Trust. So I um, serve on that board and then serve on the, the council's um, uh, main board um, as a representative of that board. And, um, and so we are looking at um, you know, large organizations and trying to figure out um, do they have a passion for this and would they um, help fund a particular initiative. What's unique and what the, a lot of people like about the Better Business Bureau system is that with a federated model, we've got 120 different locations around the country and every aspect of the country is covered. I'm, I'm responsible for 21 counties and then someone picks up just north of there, one of my other BUB colleagues. So 
if somebody wants to get a message about cybersecurity out to the entire country, North America, Canada, um, you can do that through the Better Business Bureau. You can fund the training of individuals. We can go out there. We can give those presentations and, uh, you know, boots on the ground. And that's, that gives us a competitive advantage against, you know, a lot of the, the online marketers um, that are trying to just um, aggregate data to try to come up with um, a, a trust, um, mm -hmm. you know, aspect for consumers. <clears throat> so can you, does it like, dive into that case study a little bit more, that example? So <clears throat> somebody wants to get a message out about cybersecurity. What does that interaction look like in a little bit more detail? So they contact you. Is this an, a business organization that wants to get this message out? Is that what you're saying? It could be a business organization. It could be um, uh, I started a consumer fraud advisory group. So quarterly we meet with um, Homeland Security, FBI, um, State Highway Patrol, um, IRS, all the different uh, um, uh, federal agencies and you find that a lot of them are working on the same projects and so that, and you also find that they all have an interest in education and you also find that a lot of times it's hard for um, for different groups to interact with those types of agencies and so they will interact with the Better Business Bureau so we'll utilize a lot of their resources maybe do a partnership with um, we're doing one with a, a number of different cyber um, national organizations and so we collaborate by saying okay what is the message to get to small businesses and how can we get it to small businesses in a manner that they can actually utilize it and not have it be this just this you know scary cyber you know security um, issue large companies do it um, have their groups that do it so how can we do that with smaller businesses so that we've developed like a five-step program that's on our website um, through a national collaboration and then they get that out to the system. They might do it through um, webinar training um, for BBBs to, to learn about how to deliver that. We took it, um, adjusted it for our market, in, invited the FBI representative to come in, had um, 25 uh, small business owners come into our office, and then we presented um, the program to them. We've done that on, on two occasions, and the uh, second time we uh, partnered with the AG's office. Because um, again, they're they're interested in it as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So um, as we kind of uh, start to wrap up here, one of the things I wanted to ask you is that you know you were born in Worthington and you grew up in Worthington and um, you've lived in Columbus for a long time. So what do, what do you think the biggest pros and cons of uh, doing business here in Columbus are? Well, I was just at a luncheon today for um, uh, Central Ohio Youth for Christ and uh, and their. Um, uh, uh, the youth that are being trafficked, and uh, um, and you run into so many different people. And one of the individuals that I invited to sit at our table, as we were leaving, he said, uh, "He goes, this is such a small world." And I said, I, "I said it's a small world, but it's a small city." And he said, "He goes, no doubt about it." He goes, "I didn't know you knew that person." That, you know, the the connections around the table were incredible in terms of who knew um, each other and for different reasons. That coming back from Jacksonville where people said, you're not from here, are you? I mean, that was really like South Georgia. And so they recognized real quick I wasn't. And then moving back to Columbus, and I run into, I run into attorneys that work at Porter Wright, and, and they say, um, uh, your dad was Warren Morris, right? And I said, yeah. He said, oh, you know, your dad was the nicest guy in the world. You know, I, you hear that kind of thing, and you're like, this is like home, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, you can do that. You can 
you can run into somebody you know in every single suburb on any given night, and that's uh, that's pretty cool. And um, and every suburb is competing with each other for you know wonderful places to go and great craft beer to, to have. <laughs> that's always a good thing. <laughs> They're all over the place, and so yeah, no, it's a it's a great city. So you've had an extensive tenure with the BBB. Can you talk about some of the most significant experiences that really stick out to you throughout that process, whether it was working with certain businesses or high points, low points, maybe just touch on a couple that really, as you reflect over the last, you know, 25 years, um, kind of the most vivid to you? Yeah, I think that, um, I think the most frustrating um, aspects have been, um, finding organizations, other organizations, you can't advance trust in the marketplace without collaboration. And I love collaborating and I'm always trying to figure out who can we be working with. And from time to time, I, the, the biggest frustration is, is when people are, um, get very protective and they think that you're going to be competing against them and that all of a sudden, you know, they don't want anything to do with you. And then there's um, it just gets very strange, and it's just not a, it's not a climate I like to be around. Um, but then when you find somebody, like when I met David All and started asking him, hey, can you help me figure out how to communicate better to the startup community? And he was like, yeah, you know, cool. You know, that'd be awesome. Let's, let's work on that project. That led to some of the most substantial advancements of the Better Business Bureau in Central Ohio, and it meant adding um, young, wonderful leaders to our staff. It meant changing the, the look of the office. It changed the whole dynamic. It um, got us in front of uh, um, some really uh, neat business, young business owners. And so we're learning. And that's what I, I love about it is that um, you can never stop learning, um, you know, about uh, because it's changing all the time. And so I, I, you know, I want to know who's doing business and what their struggles are, and see if we can help in any way. Mm-hmm. And so one of the last questions we always ask, and, you, and you've touched on uh, pushing yourself outside your comfort zone before in the interview. So um, this might be a uh, a little familiar to you, but the theme of our show is live uncomfortably, uh, and we talk about it a lot on the show about pushing yourself outside your comfort zones in order to improve. Not um, just physically or emotionally but in professional personal everything you have to push yourself beyond your comfort zone so um what we wanted to ask is what do you think of when you hear the phrase and how often have you had to live uncomfortably in your lifetime um i live uncomfortably in my lifetime um day to day um and when i say uncomfortably i that that does not mean um it's not a negative at all, um, but when you have a child with special needs that um, that has had to be restrained, that has had to be on medicine, that has had to be, um, that you've had to then decide how to transition them into a, um, uh, uh, when she's 24, into a facility that's not, that Columbus doesn't have, which is extremely frustrating, um, but I find one in Cleveland to then transition her to Cleveland and have it be a wonderful experience. She's doing tremendous living in a house with five friends and, and uh, the Monarch Center for Autism is just unbelievable. But living uncomfortably is, um, is, has been my whole life. And so when I stopped saying, okay, as soon as this event happens, things are gonna quiet down. 
Um, I now my passion outside the BB is working with a couple individuals on developing a program in Central Ohio that um, is as good or better than the center in Cleveland, so I can get my daughter back here and and see her on a on a regular basis instead of just every weekend, and um, and then um, you know I I have a nephew that's battling an opiate addiction, and uh, I needed to get him out of the community he was in, so we all, we were almost empty nesters, and so now I've got my nephew living with me, you know, to try to um, help him out, and so. Um, yeah, we you, you kind of have to live uncomfortably in this world, uh, and and um, there's no doubt about it, and uh, and that's where you get the most rewarding, you know, feelings in life. Definitely. Well, I think uh, that's a good place to wrap up there, Kip. We appreciate your time on the show. Unless Josh over there has any last questions he wants to ask. No, nope, I think we're nope. good. You got any last words for the people of Columbus? No, I just think it's great. Columbus is 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 awesome, and keep yeah. it up. Yeah, well, thanks a lot for listening, Conquerors. We hope you enjoyed that episode, and uh, that'll be the end. We'll talk to you next week. If you liked that episode, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, social media. We're all over the place, guys. Share it with your friends. Also want to ask you if you could do us a big favor, check out that podcast app you're listening to us on, and go ahead and click that subscribe button. Again, it really helps us out, and it makes sure you guys never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. Last thing we want to do before we let you go here is give one last shout-out to all of our incredible sponsors. And that starts with AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. If you want to find out more about AWH, check out awh.net, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. For those of you who don't know who they are, the Sundown Group is an Ohio nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout Ohio. More information on the web at sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them is a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com. Mike here again. And if you want to be a sponsor of Conquering Columbus and have your message heard by conquerors across the city, please reach out to me at mike at conqueringcolumbus.com. There will be a quick survey in the show notes of today's episode. And if you guys could fill that out for us, we'd really appreciate it. All right, folks, that's all we got. We'll talk to you next week. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard.
I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.